Okay. Um, so if we can turn to uh, Exodus chapter 16, verse 19. So Exodus chapter 16, verse 19. Probably never heard anyone do a sermon on this verse before. And uh, Moses said to them, this is talking about the manna that came down from heaven. He said, hey, let no one leave any of it over until the morning. But they didn't listen to Moses and some left part of it till the morning and it bred worms and it stank and Moses was angry with them. <laughs> so we'll see where's he going with that verse. Okay, so this morning I was basically saying how um, I, I used the scripture from Je- Joshua chapter 1 verse 1 and said, you know, my servant Moses is dead. Okay, it's over. The old way is finished. There's time for a new way now. And I was saying about how all the different movements um, in Christendom have come to their fullness and have really come to their end. So whether it be... I know the Anglican Church, the Methodist Church, the Baptist Church, the Charismatic Movement, the Hebrew Roots Movement, they've all, they've gone as far as they can go. It's, they've come to the end. And you think, well, no, they, they, they haven't come to the end. There's plenty of life in these things. But actually, it's not that they themselves are dead. It's what God wants to do with you going forward. And that if, you ca- if we carry on as where we're going, we are not going to get very far. And so God showed me this picture a while ago of, of say, these, these are like different movements in the body of Christ. Uh, but they're all different colours. Imagine I've got different coloured fingers here. I'm just waving at you. And he said what he wants to do is to bring these strands together and then weave them together to form a multicoloured rope. What God doesn't want is where you mix colours together and it just turns into this horrid porridge of just black, weird-looking colour. He wants each strand to retain its identity but he wants it to come together with other strands and, as they, as, and then as they twist and mingle together, they become the rope. The problem is, is each movement in Christendom thinks it's the rope. It thinks it's right and everybody else is maybe not quite so right. But God is saying no. Each, each movement is merely a strand and these strands must come together to form the rope and that's where the strength will be. And so God is not looking for uniformity He's looking for unity in his body, okay? Um, so I think that was pretty much kind of like what I was saying. And I was sharing about things about, uh, and I'll, I'll cover a little bit as, as we work through this. So I'll just get, get straight to it. So Exodus sixteen nineteen, it's talking about yesterday's manna. You don't want to eat yesterday's manna because it's bad stuff, right? It's got worms and maggots and blah, it's horrible stuff. But yet, nevertheless... We, in Christendom, we are still living, if, if, I'm, if I'm honest with you, on yesterday's manner. You know, we're, we're, like, we're, we're a charismatic type evangelical church with a bit of Pentecostalism thrown in and a bit of a few other things just peppered in there for good measure. But nevertheless, we are walking in a movement that came and finished, really, a long time ago. So the charismatic movement, well, let's just wind it back a little bit. So the famous one, the big Pentecostal movement, which happened back in the uh, late 1800s, that just took the world by storm. It became a movement. It was a, a powerful movement, signs, wonders, healings, and that spread throughout the whole world till about the 1940s, 1950s. And then came the charismatic movement, and that was where the more established churches embraced things like the gifts of the Spirit and, and the power of the Holy Spirit back into the established church. Then that movement 
then came so far and then that led to the house church movement and that's come so far. And all of the Methodism, that started as a movement, but that's come so far. They've all come to a point and they've all now come so far. But because prophetically the things that we're coming into is a nation where things are going to get very difficult soon, we can't carry on as we are anymore. So God's been showing me for, for quite a few years and, and gradually piecing this, pip, this uh, jigsaw together that I'm beginning to see things very clearly. Now, this isn't just me. What I've noticed, I'm meeting pastors and prophets, prophets and prophetic people all around the, the UK, and they're all beginning to start to say the same thing. Whether it's, you know, there was a guy here this morning, he's a good friend of mine, his name's John, John Julian, he's a, a farmer from Cornwall, and he was down here for this weekend, where he's got 127 acres of land, and God has told him to build a, uh, houses on this land, be self-sufficient, uh, create a Christian community, etc., etc., uh, has exactly the same, pretty much the same ethos as us, but with different emphasis and different points. You know, we have a certain ethos, we were at a, a place, what's it called in Southampton? We went around that house. Old, Old Moor Community Farm. So we met those guys and uh, we shared some, some time with them. And they're based in Southampton. And they're, again, very similar vision. And it's this vision of working the land, praying for the land, healing the land, um, and being a people and a community of prayer and a people of prayer rather than just doing the Sunday box type model. And and so, and I said this morning as well, that how in early Celtic Christianity, so from AD 300 to about AD 900, the Celtic Christians conquered Britain by doing simple things. What they didn't do is they didn't come to Britain and plant a church. What they did do is they found the most demonically oppressed area and they went to it and they prayed over it and prayed over it until that land became hallowed and holy. Then they built a monastery, which is a, a place of community where people prayed. Now, these monasteries, the Celtic monasteries, are not like necessary Catholic monasteries. So they had women and men uh, living, as in, as in nuns and monks, all in the same community. And you had married people as well that were serving in those communities. So it's a slight bit different. But the, basically, that was their ethos. Come into an area, find the worst place pray over it, make it holy, build a community of people that prayed an awful lot. And then from then, then the monasteries became education centres and there they trained people and then they went out and planted churches. And then they kept that model going. So they'd move into the next place, plant again, find the worst place, pray over it, make it holy ground. And so they understood this whole spiritual warfare realm in ways that I think the charismatic church likes to think it does in, in, in principle, but doesn't actually in practice. So let that one drop there. Okay, so these streams, all these different moves of Christendom have come really as far as they can. Now, everything I'm saying here that I believe God has shown me is really only for the UK church. I can't speak into other nations, but only in what God has shown me for this nation. And so God is saying to his church, guys, it's time for reformation or to repronounce it, reformation. It's time to reform. It's time to blend the ancient church with the modern church in a way that uh, we have not seen for a long time because the modern day church has now grown powerless. The modern day church is weak. The modern day church is falling apart and it is not providing enough, quick enough response to the issues in society and the things that are going on around us. It's quite clear to see that here in Britain that Christianity is around about 4%. This nation used to be completely, those Celtic Christians, they took the whole nation for Christ. And now we are in where we're at today. 
Uh, that's bad news for Britain, maybe, but actually for the rest of the world, there's lots of places all around the world. You, you do know that there's uh, 2.5 or 2.7 billion Christians. That's a third of the human race. Okay, so we're not, not doing too badly, are we, overall? Okay, so it's time for Reformation. Now, in Jeremiah, you've probably seen this scripture before, Jeremiah 6, verses 16 to 17, it says, Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where, where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. Now, I've, me and Tracy, we had this, this verse constantly for years. God's saying, you need to go back to the ancient paths. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? Does it mean I have to go back to this or go back to that? I didn't understand. I assumed that I thought that I knew what it was. But as I said, in 2018, God gave me this prophetic word. And in that word, I prophesied that Theresa May would be stepped down, that Brexit would take place. And then I started prophesying things. I had no idea what I was talking about, which was God wanted to restore monastic communities all over this, over this land. And that this nation would be built on the back of the prayers of this nation. That's how this nation would be uh, one for Christ again. And so it was going back to those ancient paths. This is what God wants to bring back which the church has sadly long forgotten. We, after the dissolution of the monasteries in uh, the mid-1500s, basically, uh, what's it in, King Henry VIII, he shut down all the monasteries, and then suddenly the power of the church began to diminish. All we were left with is what I call the Sunday box, and over a few hundred years, the church became less and less powerful, and, and eventually secularism was rampant over our nation. The Age of Enlightenment came in and all that kind of stuff. Spiritual warfare was what these houses of prayer were doing because whilst they were praising, whilst they were worshipping, while they were praying, they were taking spiritual territory off this nation and taking it off the enemy. Now, some people might think, Chris, that just sounds nonsense. That sounds rubbish. I was a, before I became a Christian, I was a practising witch. Okay, I know exactly what they do. And this is the thing that's a bit sad is most Christians have are are a bit dull when it comes to spiritual matters. They think they are in principle, but in reality they're not. Witches know exactly what they're doing. They are claiming territories. They are bringing spiritual strongholds to areas so that they can infiltrate greater darkness across this nation. Well, church, they, like myself, I used to be a witch until Jesus came to me personally and revealed himself to me. I was like, oh my gosh, God is real. Um, and then I gave my life to Christ. It's now time for us to start pushing against the forces of darkness. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't have arguments with people. We come against the forces of darkness by taking land spiritually, step by step by step, by walking in these ancient paths. So in Isaiah, if I turn to um, Isaiah 56 verse 7. This is uh, a scripture that I'm sure many of you are very familiar with. And it says, These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a church. No, that's not what it says. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The word peoples in the, in the, in the Hebrew is goyim and in the Greek it's, gen, it's basically ethnos or where the word Gentiles comes from. It's basically Gentiles, 
Well, well, God wants the Gentiles to come into this. It's all nations, really, and the Jews and the Gentiles. But primarily, God wants all of these people to come into a house of prayer. God's house is a house of prayer. Now, not just corporately, but individually. I am a house of prayer. I have the living God living within me by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, I am a, we all know the scriptures, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, etc. I have God living and residing in me. But am I being a house of prayer? Okay, so the call here is that God is saying, come on, all nations, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whatever, everyone is called to be a house of prayer and called to be corporately house, the house of prayer as well. You see, we have come up with this kind of modern day mod, uh, Sunday box model of church just because after the Reformation, that was kind of the model that was passed down to us by people like Luther and Calvin. And that's kind of just how we've been doing it for the last few, what, 500 years. But God wants us to go back to the old ways we used to do things in this country. And there's some really exciting things that the Celts used to get up to that uh, we have long forgotten of. And I'll, I'll cover that uh, in time, but not today. So it's time to change the model. And we need to revert back to the ancient model. So... I said this to the congregation this morning, um, most of you are probably, probably aware of this, but as you know, you know we've got uh, the fields, you know, where we do the allotment project. Well, this is God's clever, I haven't got time to go into the full story here, but this is God's clever wisdom. So, we, you know, so we've got this field, we've got an allotment, etc. And slowly but surely, God began to unfold his plan, what he wanted to do there. Uh, to the point where Eric and Jean were getting like uh, dreams and stuff long before oh, me and Tracy were getting it. And then God was confirming things to us and we were sharing it together. And like, that's what God said out to us. In that God wants to build on that land a house of prayer. And so I can't go into too much details, but over the next couple of months, uh, we've got to meet some people and then we're going to submit the plans. Uh, and then hopefully, well, prayfully, we're going to get, get that, those things go through then we're going to start to build this house of prayer. And then as a church, we're going to start to change our culture and our ethos and move it for away from the Sunday box and back to as it used to be in ancient Britain, where it became communities of prayer. Now listen, well, I run a, a thing every Thursday called uh, Prayer School, and there's a lot of people that go to that. And uh, people have said some beautiful things about it. And uh, one lady, uh, she, she's wrestled and struggled with church all her life. You know, she doesn't quite fit in, doesn't quite get it. And, and she was coming, coming to these meetings. She's like, do you know what? These meetings, these, coming to these events has, um, has, has, has really given me an understanding of church in a way that I never understood it before. And you think, why is that? Because all of these Christians in, this ro- in the room on a Thursday... We're praying in a way that I'm showing them that, again, that the ancients taught us how to pray. And, and these people are getting revelations from God, and it's causing people to cry and to have revelations. Just like, I, you know, I've had people say, I've been a Christian for most of my life. I've never, I've never experienced God like this before in my life. And, and, and when you've got people sharing things that God has revealed to them, it makes you vulnerable, it makes you exposed, but then so is everybody else. And we're all growing together in a way that, that a Sunday meeting doesn't quite do it. Okay, there's a there's a knitting together. There's a formation there that that is where we have to give something of ourselves. And in the process, we gain so much as well. And it's it's wonderful fellowship. And then we eat together. Although I don't I nip out for a quick for a quick walk because I'm with people all the time. I do need five minute break. But we're, we're they're eating together and it's, it's general community. And so that's that's kind of like a beginning blueprint of what we want to 
bring into this house of prayer when it gets built. Now, as I said, I'm meeting lots of other pastors and people around the country and they're all getting the same thing. They're getting the same visions. Different people are picking it up in different parts. Um, I, in some respects, I'm quite late to the party, but there are others that, that, that have been walking this out for a long time. And it's exciting, right? It's exciting that God's got a plan for this nation. And it's not just some crazy guy um, on a whim just talking on a Sunday. This is a thing that's going on across the UK. Church is changing. And if we are going to survive where we're going to, we have to do it together. That means we've got to get along with people. We can't use our theology as an excuse to have an argument with each other. We have got to bring the strands together to form a rope. And we've got to stop thinking that our strand is the rope. Amen? Hallelujah. It's time to change the model. If you turn with me to uh, Daniel chapter 10. And verses 10 to 14. Daniel 10, 10 to 14. So Daniel's been praying for a long time. Uh, because Israel should be released from captivity and it doesn't look like it's happening. So he starts praying. He prays a lot, fasting, praying and, and, and just really wrestling with God. And then it says in verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And this angel said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I've been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but the angel Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for the days yet to come. So here we see a glimpse of what's going on in the heavenlies. Daniel is just doing his job. He's dealing with the natural realm. He's like, God, things should be happening, but they're not happening. So we need. So he just got on his knees and he interceded and prayed. But then through this vision, he got to see things that no one else up until that time had ever understood. That in the heavenly realms, there are powerful powers and principalities and dominions, both evil and good, are fighting. And there's empires and kingdoms that are, that are at play up there. There's warfare going on in our heavens right now. And it's the, it's the praying saints that can make the difference of who's in charge and who's running uh, what country, what land, what nation, etc. It's the church that has the responsibility to do that. We can literally change history with prayer. So young people, hallelujah, let's pick on you for a minute. Young, young people, there, there is, I, I feel God is saying, there is a war going on out there right now, a big war. And God's on a recruitment drive and he is looking for people that want to give their lives uh, to, to this kind of prayer. People that are going to say, you know what, I am going to stand up and be counted. I am going to join the army of the Lord and I'm going to become a part of this house of prayer and I am going to wrestle powers and principalities through my prayers. I'm going to change governments. I'm going to change empires. I'm going to change things that are going on in the heavens. And God is on a recruitment drive and he's calling to his young people, not just you guys, but people watching this as well. He's after you guys. 
He's after all of us. God wants us to get involved in this war. There is a war going on. Whilst we're just sat here doing nothing, there are people going to hell. While we're sat here doing nothing, the enemy is deceiving people and robbing them of their lives. The enemy is just crushing this nation. And Jesus has come to set people free. There is child trafficking, there is slavery, there's all sorts of things going on. But just because it's not in the mainstream news does not mean that it's not happening. We have an opportunity, we have an obligation to be a people that pray. We need to be a community, we need to be like the Celtic Christians. It's like, let's find the worst place of this country, let's move there and let's make it holy ground and let's start to bring the light of Christ to the nations and let the world see a people that love God and love one another because this world doesn't see that anymore. This world just sees Christians that fight this and fight that. The world needs to see Christians that absolutely love each other. The world needs to see Christians lay down their lives for each other. The world needs to see Christians make a difference in a good and positive way. Ephesians 6 talks about the spiritual armour. You know, there's a war going on. We need to clad ourselves. This is not... This is not this is not stupid stuff. This is not like Sunday school, I put on the armour of God. This is really real. This is real. There's a real war going on out there and we are not involved. We are not participating. We're just doing nothing. We're letting days go by and months go by, then years go by. I often think, you know, what would Jesus say to me when I get to heaven? And you're like, have this big list of, well, Chris, not that I have done this, but, you know, I was giving you a hypothetical. Chris, you know, you spent... Um, I was at 100,000 hours on Candy Crush, just wasting your life. And you, you spent, you know, hundreds and hundreds of hours just looking on Facebook, look, hoping you'd find something, but you never did. You ever done that? You just scroll and scroll and scroll. And then 20 minutes ago, and you still haven't found it. Oh my gosh, I've just wasted 20 minutes. You know, how much of our lives are we wasting when we could just be turning that into prayer? You know, we just do even simple things like Tracy's put this uh, poster by the kettle. So every time I put the kettle on, there's a little poster saying, pray for this family. So every time I put the kettle on, just pray for that family. So that we, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, for us to be a people that pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. Hallelujah. In Exodus 17, we have this story where, where Moses is up on a hill and uh, Joshua is down on the ground and they're fighting the Amalekites. Now, when Moses' hands are held up, they're winning the battle. But when his hands get tired and they come down, then the enemy starts winning. So Aaron and her have to come alongside of him and hold his arms up. And it's the same with the church today. As the church is not holding her arms aloft in prayer, and as she's not holding her arms aloft in worship, and not just once on a Sunday, but actually every day of the week, as the church starts to raise our hands up, we will push against the Amalekites, and we will win territory, and God's people will be set free, and we'll start, instead of having ground taken from us, we shall take spiritual ground back. It says, again, we don't need to look at this, but in, in, uh, it says in uh, 2 Samuel 6.17 and Acts chapter 15, verse 16, it talks about in the end of days, where we're fast heading to, it says, God will restore the tabernacle of David. 
Okay. Now, most people don't really know what that is. We all know what the tabernacle of Moses is. That's that big tent that was in the, in the wilderness where the people could come and offer offerings, etc. And that became the, the pattern model for which the temple was designed on. But the tabernacle of David was a weird kind of phenomena that just happens for about a 40-year period. And what it was is that the Ark of the Covenant, which should pretty much most of the time should remain in the tabernacle of Moses, was not put in there, but it was put on Mount Zion, uh, this kind of elevated mountain in, in Jerusalem, and they put a tent on it uh, with the front end open. And basically you had priests, um, of the sons of Levi, etc., were worshipping in front of it 24-7 for around about 37 to 40 years. And God said that in the end of days, he wants to re-establish and re-bring back the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David is where the saints are on a rotation where they're doing 24-7 praise and worship. Now, obviously, you and I can't do 24-7 because it would like we'd be dead. But we take it in turns. The point was they did it in rotors, big rotors. If you look in Second Chronicles, it, gives, it shows you how they constructed it and how they did it. Big rotors of people just coming, constantly praying, constantly praising. And that era of Israel at that particular time was known as the golden age of Israel because of all of those prayers. And then when Solomon became king, that golden age continued with that restoration. Not that the tabernacle finished when Solomon came to power, but the effects of the prayer and the worship and the praise lasted throughout Solomon's reign as well. We have back in the, uh, a few, about 150 years ago, I think, we had the Moravian community. Anyone heard of them? Okay, the Moravian community, they prayed non-stop for 100 years in Saxony, which then became Germany. And the miracles, the signs, the wonders, the revivals that came about because of 100 years of prayer. You had, the, I think, the first Great Awakening. Maybe I'm not sure my history on that one. But definitely the second Great Awakening, then the, the uh, first wave of the Spirit, and the second wave of the Spirit, which just exploded Christendom across America and across the nations. Okay? That's what happens when one little community... In, in Germany decided to pray. Now, can you imagine what it would be like on a global scale if Christians all throughout the world were praying like that all of the time? Hallelujah. I'm going to finish with this uh, other scripture from Micah, sorry, Malachi chapter 1 and verse 11. This is, a, I love this scripture. It says, For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great, among the Gentiles and in every place listen to this incense will be offered to my name so if you have a problem with churches that offer incense well this is quite interesting in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name will be great among the Gentiles says the Lord of hosts my name will be great amongst the Gentiles and in every place incense will be offered to my name at our house of prayer now on Thursdays, we have incense burning, not because we're being religious, but because it says in, uh, in the book of Revelation that the angels, when they're worshipping and praying, they're offering up incense in heaven. And so we want to replicate and imitate on the earth what's going on in heaven and actually fulfilling the Malachi prophesy. So, prophecy. Sorry, that we are offering up this fragrant praise and worship and adoration to God. Hallelujah. But we're also burning incense, fulfilling biblical prophecy in so doing that. Oh, glory. Glory, Lord, we just praise you. We just thank you, Lord God. We give you praise. We give you adoration. Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray, Lord, my love, that you will just come here right now, Lord. If we just all close our eyes for a minute. Holy Spirit, my love, will you please come to us right now? 
And just let your presence be known in this room, I pray. God, I pray that you change our hearts. Give us fresh oil, fresh wine in these old wineskins, Lord. Renew us, restore us. Enable us to go places where we've not been able to go before, Lord. And change our hearts and soften our hearts, Lord God. Enable the church, Lord Jesus, to shift direction. Because she's not going anywhere anymore. And I pray, Father, you help your church to move and shift direction and to see things your way and to grab a hold of your heart that we may redo things the way that you want it done in this nation according to your plans, according to your purposes and not about the plans of man or building empires. Lord Jesus, revive your church again and move through this nation again. And I thank you, Father, that when your people who hallowed your name, Lord Jesus, and they they bend their knee and they pray, Lord God, and humble themselves and pray. Then, then, then you will hear from heaven and you will heal their land. Lord God, we praise you. We thank you. Amen. And all the saints said, Amen. Amen.